Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, a few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to visit the Salvador Dali Museum in St. Petersburg, Florida. And let me just start by saying it's a remarkable place. I'm a fan of Dali's work, I always have been, and he's got that surrealist sort of thing happening, and the museum itself evokes the imagination a little bit, sort of that surrealist sort of way thinking about things. And I really appreciated the style of the museum and love seeing some of Dali's paintings. Now, strangely enough, I'd never been to this museum. It's only a couple hours drive from where I live, and you'd think that somewhere along the way, being a fan of Dali, that I might have visited the museum, but it just never worked out, never worked in my favor, and I never made it there. But you're probably asking yourself, how in the heck does visiting the Salvador Dali Museum fit into a Disney-related podcast? And the answer is pretty simple. I happened to go at a time when the museum was doing an exhibit. Two men dare to dream. Will you? Disney and Dali, architects of the imagination. Now, at the Dali Museum. It was in the midst of a run after a run at the Disney Family Museum. It was created by the Disney Family Foundation and the Dali Museum in, in cooperation to show how both men's works influenced the world and how they, their lives intersected and they did some interesting things. Included with the museum admission is an audio tour. And the audio tour features Sigourney Weaver telling us about some of the stories. Now, I'm going to include a few clips from that audio tour here. My intent here is to use these to promote the museum. I really and sincerely hope that you go and you check out the museum for yourself. It really is cool. And I'm just using this as sort of a way to get you there, to kind of capture your imagination a little bit and get you engaged. Because I could tell you the story, but I think they do such a nice job of using some pieces from different things that I wanted to include those in here to help you understand what the story is all about. Animation pioneer Walt Disney and surrealist Salvador Dali were two of the most renowned and influential artists of the 20th century. Their work dissolved the boundary between reality and dreams and helped to define modern culture and shape our collective imagination. So as a general summary, each man saw the other as a master of their medium. Disney and his ability to bring life to animation, to anthropomorphize characters and really bring them to life. And Dali, in his art, and his surrealist, impressionistic art that really kind of showed a, a sense of imagination and wonder. Disney was born in the United States, and Dali was born in Spain. But they were contemporaries, and they both had strong influences from the small towns that they were born in, and their family life, and the dynamic of their family life. So they had a sort of a kindred spirit, and it makes it kind of interesting and compelling. My delirium is injected and sublimate in these rocks and in this geology through 
le medium of the geology, the landscape and the rocks penetrate the kind of paranoid imagination of Salvador Dali. Now their paths crossed along the way in somewhat cursory ways. For example, there was an exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. And both of them, each of them, had work displayed there. Now as far as we know, their paths never crossed in New York. They didn't actually see each other, but they did experience each other's works and were well aware of what the other one was doing. And then later in the 1930s, as Dali moved to the U.S. because he wanted to live here during the Second World War, he expressed an interest in meeting the three great surrealists who were in America. And those would be Cecil B. DeMille, Harpo Marx, and Walt Disney. So if you think about the three, Cecil B. DeMille, really with his stylistic way of making movies, he was, you know, he was the quintessential surrealist in movie making. He had a way of looking at movies and producing them in a way that really made for some compelling art at that point in time. Harpo Marx had a unique styling about him. Because he didn't talk, he had to pantomime things. And that made him have to do things a little bit differently than other characters in movies. Other characters were able to speak their way and talk through things. Harpo never did, so he had to, he had to do a lot of things that you could consider surreal in some ways because he had to really use the imagination to get his point across. And he always did. That's what made it kind of cool. And then, of course, Walt Disney was a surrealist in his own right. If you think back to the Silly Symphonies and then Fantasia, Walt Disney had really created something that was so unique, different, and unusual. Animated art that brought music to life and morphed the music and the animation together so the animations continued to change and evolve and it had these unusual depictions of things. When you think about it, think about dancing hippos in Fantasia. Who would do something like that? Or the Silly Symphonies where you had skeletons dancing. You really had some unique elements to it that were very surreal in their approach. So I can certainly understand why Dali saw something in Disney. Now sometime around the end of the Second World War, it was maybe early 1944 or so, Walt Disney saw Mark Davis with a book about Dali's life and his paintings. And he was really fascinated by it. So he asked to see it. He was really enthused and read it cover to cover and was really intrigued by it. And here's a clip of Alice Davis telling us the rest of that story. A couple of days went by and Mark got a phone call from Walt's secretary. She said that Walt wanted to know if he could borrow his book on Salvador Dali. And Mark said, sure, I don't see why not. It's his book. I checked it out of the library. Yes, Walt Disney was really intrigued by the book. In fact, so much so that he actually took the book and sent it off to Dali and asked for his autograph in the book and included a letter of appreciation for his work. He basically said, I, you know, your work is outstanding. I really appreciate what you do. Could you autograph this for me? And included some information that was along the lines of, maybe at some point we could work together and collaborate on an idea. Dali obliged and sent back the autographed copy of the book and also included a letter to Disney expressing his admiration for Disney as well. So another year or so would pass. Then in 1945, Dali was in Los Angeles. Jack Warner, the head of Warner Brothers Studio, decided that it was time for Dali and Disney to meet. He had heard about their mutual admiration and thought that they should actually hook up. So he hosted a dinner at his house for both of them. And they met, and they really did kind of find themselves to be kindred spirits. They hit it off in sort of a friendship sort of way. Yeah, there was business mixed in there, but they found a connection with each other that extended beyond business. It was clear to both of them that they found ways to express themselves through their art. Now, it would still be some time before they actually got together to collaborate. The problem was that during the Second World War, 
Walt Disney was making cartoons that were propaganda for the United States, for the American military machine. And in doing so, he had about 700 troops that were housed in his Walt Disney Studios. So he couldn't get back to the idea of making movies that he wanted to make. The movies he was making at that point were for the general betterment and promoting the cause during the Second World War. They weren't really for profit. They were a break-even proposition for him, but it was important to do them. So by the time the war ended and the troops moved out, he was ready to go back to the actual idea of making money on his movies. And here he was thinking about all of these different things he could do. And the idea struck him again that it was time to work with Dali. Now, it helped that Dali's wife sent a letter to Walt Disney asking when they can actually start their collaboration. So once Walt Disney started to return to his life of making animated movies for profit, it was time. Dali was living a few hours north of Anaheim, and it was easy enough for him to get to the Disney Studios. Walt suggested that perhaps they could collaborate and work on an animated project, and explained that Fantasia worked because it took a musical score and created animations around it. It was a storytelling medium using music to set the mood, and the animations brought it to life. Now, because Dali's work was mostly drawn and interpretive, they agreed that this would be a really good idea. So Walt went further and suggested that Dali could maybe find something in the Disney Music Archive that inspired him, and they could create a surreal series of drawings that could be brought to life with that particular piece of music in the same way that Walt had done with Fantasia. Dali searched through the archive and found a piece called Destino by Mexican artist Armando Dominguez that he really liked because the title Destiny called to him. Walt thought that was a great idea, and paired Dully with animator John Hench. One morning, to my surprise, I, Walt brought him in to my room. I don't know why he brought him to me, unless he knew that I spoke a little French, so that might have been the reason. Anyway, I was in luck, all right, because he was, he was an extraordinary person to share the subsequent many months with. His personality was a great deal like Walt. He had the same extraordinary optimism about what he was doing. The two set about taking Dali's work and creating a sort of surreal story around some concepts. They had some storyboards, more than 200 of them as it turned out, and some animations together. 
It told the story of the owner of time, the immortal Kronos, and his love for a mortal woman. The surrealist nature of it brought their love, their destiny, together. Here's a little bit from John Hench to tell you a little bit more about this story. His theory, of course, that the outward appearance of objects, images, didn't tell the whole truth about people. There was a surrealist side to things. And he could indicate that by this business of morphing the original image into several others. But as time dragged on in the storyline, Walt became frustrated. It just seemed too abstract, and their storytelling methods were too different. And that, coupled with the rising cost and the market shrinking for this type of art form, a short animated reel to show before a feature-length movie, that could be packaged and sold, meant that it was going to be difficult to distribute the movie. So ultimately, after about a year, Walt reluctantly pulled the plug. So at that point in time, their partnership would cease on Destino. When I heard that Walt wasn't going to release any more packages, I thought, well, I'll just make a little test of one thing here because... The imagery was kind of fascinating, and I thought maybe if Walt saw it, you know, he might go ahead with it anyway. I had fixed it at a little art theater there in Carmel for the projectionist to put it on after the evening show. So the operator put the thing on, and and the next sound we heard was, my God, what was that? And that was the manager. And it did kind of impress Walt, but not enough to continue Dali was disappointed, but understood that it was really all about business. In an article in the Los Angeles Times on April 7, 1946, Dali described the story as a magical exposition of the life and the labyrinth of time, while Disney described it as a simple love story, boy meets girl. While character and personalities were the most important elements of Disney's stories, Dali saw tales unfold like enigmatic dreams, the importance of characters only seen wrapped in symbolism. So you can kind of get a sense of how they were different from each other and why they had issues kind of creating something that might actually work for both of them.
Now, it took many years, but in 2003, Disney finally released much of Destino. They had some of their artists come together and recreate the entire thing based on the original drawings and concepts that Dali and Hench had put together. Animators recreated it from the storyboards, and it was met with some accolades, including an Academy Award nomination in 2003. It's weird and surreal, but it does have elements and attributes that make you think of each of them. I'm going to put a link to it on my show notes page if you want to actually watch the video. But the description is, it's a six-minute short that follows Kronos, the serpentine-shaped god who is time personified, on his hapless pursuit of a mortal woman. The delirious ride features no dialogue and an appropriately eerie soundtrack by Mexican songwriter Armando Dominguez. Destino. The artist's little-known love child is half Fantasia and half the persistence of memory, as nightmarish images made from animation, live dancers, and special effects flow in and out of the frame. He started out with destiny being a matter of time, so there was some symbols of time that, that the male protagonist was eventually associated with in life of two individuals dealing with the outside world, fame and money and uh, alcohol. and These things attempted to stop her. They were blockages. Maternity was another that she avoided. Jupiter's head was the barrier, and then the hummingbird opened it again. The hummingbird is in several ways, Dolly said, the poetic key to a solution. There were phases of a love affair that were being developed, being together and being separated. It was kind of a ballet, the, the destiny of love. And since these two protagonists were dancers, why, there was to be a reconciliation. It was uh, like a baseball game. The girl's head was the ball. When Destino was canceled, it turned out to be the end of their collaboration, but certainly not the end of their friendship. The story doesn't quite end there. Throughout his life, Walt Disney always said to John Hench, you know, we should have just made the damn thing. Now, there's a little more to the story here. Because Dolly worked in Walt's studio for several months and did interact with everyone, he left a lasting influence. Shortly after their partnership broke up, Disney produced two movies that truly showed that influence. The first is Alice in Wonderland. Some of the scenes are more like surrealist impressions that you might expect from Dali rather than the kinds of things you saw from the past Disney films like Snow White. And the second film is Donald Duck in Math Magic Land, which is this weird and wonderful movie about Donald learning about math. Most of the backgrounds could have come straight from the Dali painting. It's not surprising when you realize that John Hench was the production head on the movie. And by the way, Donald Duck and Math Magic Land is a terrific 30-minute show about math and some specific principles in math. It was in most classrooms throughout the 1970s. It includes voice work by Paul Fries and music by Buddy Baker. It's a real gem, and I highly recommend seeing it. And again, I'm going to put a link to it on my show notes page so you can go out and see it. Growing up, I love this film. Partly because of its theme, I'm a geek after all, and partly because it's Donald, and, and then again, partly because it has that Dali influence. Though, of course, I didn't know about the Dali influence growing up, but it all makes sense now.
Hello, Donald. That's me. Where am I? Mathematic land. Mathematic land? Never heard of it. It's the land of great adventure. Now, who are you? I'm a spirit. The true spirit of adventure. That's for me. What's that? A journey through the wonderland of mathematics. Mathematics? That's for eggheads. Eggheads? Now, hold on, Donald. You like music, don't you? Yeah. Well, without eggheads, there would be no music. Come on, let's go to ancient Greece, to the time of Pythagoras, the master egghead of them all. Pythagoras? The father of mathematics and music. Mathematics and music? Ah, you'll find mathematics in the darndest places. Now, in spite of what you might call creative differences, the two men still admired one another. Disney had Dali's paintings on the walls in his office and his home, and they did remain in touch over the years. They collaborated on two more projects years later, Don Quixote and El Cid, though neither was ever completed because, again, trying to merge Dali's wild drawings with Disney storytelling proved difficult. But there was no shortage of discussion on the topic and lots of attempts to move it forward. And then, in the 1960s, Dali created a drawing for a fundraiser that Disney was hosting. So there was certainly that connection and they each really still appreciated what the other one did. Their friendship may have been born of admiration, but they hosted one another at their homes. Walt took Dali on a ride on his Carrollwood Pacific Garden Railroad, and Dali took Walt for a ride on his boat when he visited Spain. As Gala Dali wrote to Disney in 1946, in the hours of great artistic adventure, we should also try to develop great friendships. So there you go. It was a remarkable connection, and I enjoyed learning about it and wanted to share it with you. If you get a chance to see the exhibit, I highly recommend it. And if not, I still recommend seeing the museum as it's quite the work of art itself. And seeing Dali's work firsthand is pretty amazing. The guy was really interesting. So there's a connection here that just sort of worked for me and I wanted to make sure I shared it and talked about it because it really is intriguing to me. And I hope you get a chance to go over and see the museum before the uh, exhibit ends. And if you don't, they might make parts of it available online. Now, there is one other part to this museum exhibit that was really kind of interesting, and it's this virtual reality that meshes together further the relationships between Disney and Dali, and you can see it kind of come together in this virtual reality that they've created. And here's a little clip about that. Animation pioneer Walt Disney and surrealist Salvador Dali were two of the most influential artists of the 20th century. It's, it's, it's impossible to forget those Disney, those Dolly images, the metamorphosing, shape-shifting characters whose emotional and exterior shapes change so quickly. These things not only stay with us, in a sense, they become the kind of bookends and parameters for our emotional life. And it's almost impossible to experience something profoundly without some kind of visual reckoning from these two artists. Because Disney and Dali were both artists who were always advancing the technology of their art, uh, we thought for this exhibition that it would be great to kind of present a Dali painting in a way that's never been seen before. And it's a phenomenal experience for visitors where they can put on the virtual reality headsets and actually fly through 
these towering archaeological statues and look up into the sky. Uh, the most amazing part of it is you can watch the elephants with the spindly spider legs kind of walk over your head. It's a phenomenal experience. So that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can absolutely do it. Or perhaps that's only in our imaginations. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 